Now let's take our Bibles. If you have those, please, I'm going to ask you uh, to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. And if you'd like to use the Bible provided for you, you'll find that on page 835. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, page 835. As you're turning there, I'm going to ask uh, for your prayers for me and my wife, Susan, over the next several days, uh, Lord willing, on Friday, we will be making a trip to Asia to have the opportunity to uh, minister uh, with and to our partners there in India and also in Thailand. And we're very, very excited about this. Uh, great privilege to ask for your prayers. We'll be gone for several days. Uh, we'll be praying for you. Uh, and I know that the Lord, who's able to be everywhere for good. He's omnipresent, will be with us, and he will uh, be with you. So we'll ask for your prayers as we have a time to make this trip and serving him with some of our partners. What an honor that's going to be. Well, we are in a series here that we started uh, the first Sunday of the year, and now we're here the third, uh, that we're calling Church by the Book, Church by the Book. And this is a series, uh, yes, a topical series, but we're doing it in an expositional manner, having to do with the great doctrine of the church as it's taught in the New Testament. And we're doing this for uh, just our own edification as believers, but also for us as a church as it relates to our 2020 vision. Uh, part of that vision is to be more and more a church that's aligned on the Word of God, not only in our doctrine, which I trust that we are, our orthodoxy, but also in all ways having to do with our practice, our orthopraxy. And just as the Bible teaches right doctrine, it also teaches right practice, not only for us as individual believers, but also for the church uh, as a collective gathering of believers. So the last two weeks... We've talked about uh, church by the book. The first week, we approached it this way, church by the book, by the book. And we reminded ourselves that we as God's people have to be aligned on the book because truth is not relative. Truth is absolute because there's a God of truth who's revealed himself in truth in the word of God. Thy word is truth. And so God's word is truth, and it is inspired, it's infallible, it's sufficient for everything that we need to know and do as believers and as a church. So we've looked at church by the book. Last week, we shifted the emphasis, and we talked about church by the book. That is, what are we told about the church? What is the message of the church? And I'm going to ask you, to, as you, I have, to turn there to Matthew chapter uh, 16, because this morning, what I'd like us to do is to approach this subject this way, church in the book, church in the book. Now, when I was uh, raising our children, and they knew we were going somewhere, or I was taking them with me, or we're going on vacation, they start uh, celebrating, road trip, road trip. So this morning, we're going to take a road trip, and we're going to take a road trip through the New Testament and see what is taught regarding church 
in the book, what is taught in this regard. And we're going to go old school on this trip. I'm not going to use the screen, so you're going to need the Bible that you brought with you or the device that it's on or a Bible that's under the chair in front of you because I wasn't going to have Darla have to put half the New Testament up here, okay, this morning. We're just going to do this old school, and we're going to find out what the Bible says about the church, church in the book. And the older I grow and farther I go in my walk with the Lord, the more I learn this the answer's in the book, right? The answer's in the book. So now we're talking about the foundation of the church. So I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 as our first stop on this road trip this morning. Matthew 16 is the first time the word church is used in the New Testament. And it's used by our Lord Jesus. And you remember if you were here last week, the circumstances in which Jesus used it. He took his 12 disciples to the last place any upstanding Jewish person wanted to be. He took his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi in the north of Galilee. That was a place where a temple had been dedicated to the so-called God-man Caesar. And Herod the Great and then his son Herod Philip the Tetrarch one-fourth ruler of that region, he built a temple to honor and worship Caesar as the great authority on earth, the God-man. Now, this place was not just a pagan place in Jesus' times, but there was a cave there where since ancient times, the most pagan, abominable worship had taken place even to not just animal sacrifices, but human sacrifices. And this cave was believed to be the entrance to the underworld. As a matter of fact, it was called the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. And so Jesus took his disciples to a place which was known as the epicenter of paganism and cult worship of the God-man, Caesar. He took his disciples there, and then in a great moment, he asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? That's verse 13. Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, that's a title for Messiah, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, people are giving various answers. But Jesus then asked them, after he had spent a year and a half to two years with them, who do you say that I am? And of course, it had to be Peter, right? Before anybody could say another word, Peter spoke out, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And even beyond, you are the son of the living God. You are God incarnate. You are God among us. You are divine. You are the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus responded to that declaration. Do you remember in verse number 17, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Wonderful. You got it. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. No, you didn't figure this out, Peter. No human being could figure it out. 
my Father, by his grace, has illuminated your mind and soul so that you know who I am. And then Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, you are Peter, Petros. You're a little stone. But what has just come out of your mouth, Peter, the Petra, the huge block, the huge bedrock that has just come out of your mouth, that declaration of who I am, upon that rock, I will build my church, church here, my assembly, my gathering. It means called out ones, the ones I will call out. And the ones that will be called together in my name, I will build my church, my assembly, and then these words, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is standing at the gates of hell and he is saying, you are the first. You know who I am. It's been revealed to you by, to my, by my Father, and you will go share what Peter has just said. And on this power of who I am, the gospel, even the power of hell itself will not be able to stand against it. You will go and you will snatch people out of the kingdom of darkness. They will be brought into my kingdom and they'll become part of my church just as you are. And it's going to happen as you share this gospel. It's going to happen. And he says, I'm giving my authority to you. Look at verse 19. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And he's not just talking to Peter. He's talking to all the disciples the, who are the beginning of the church I give you the keys the authority of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth shall be bound by heaven it'll already have been bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven that's the literal rendering Jesus is talking about binding and loosing I give you the authority to say on earth what heaven has already said these things are right they are loosed. These things are wrong. They're forbidden. They're closed. I give you the authority to say on earth what I have said and my Father says. And that is what's going to build my kingdom. Now what was to be done with that authority? Well, now turn on our road trip. You ready? First stop, page 835, which is Matthew 28. Turn over. What is going to happen with this authority? Jesus said, this is what will happen. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all, what's the next word? Authority is given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. It's all mine. Now, here's what you're to do with that authority. Go. And be making disciples of all nations. Nations doesn't mean countries here. It means people groups. Go to all the ethna. All the people groups of the world. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How are they going to make these disciples? By saying what Jesus has said teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And you're not going to be alone, little flock, when you do this. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is it that Jesus wants done? He says, I want you to go in my authority, disciples. I want you to say what I say. And by the power of my gospel, you will be making disciples. You will be making disciples and you will be teaching them all the things I've said. And then they will teach all the things I've said. And this is going to happen until I return, until the end of the age, the consummation of all things. This is what I want done. So he gave his marching orders. Now turn, if you would, to our next stop, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Because how did this begin? What did it look like? In Acts chapter 1, which is page 909, if you're using that Bible, we see the formation of the church beginning. He's given this authority. He has been forming his church with these handful of believers. And now he goes back to heaven, but he, li- he leaves this again, promise, and he leaves them with a commission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. It's not your power. It's going to come from on high. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is coming and he will be with you and be in you forever. And you will do what? You will be my witnesses. You will say what I have said. You will use those keys of the kingdom. You will use that authority to say on earth what I have said from heaven. And you're going to do this where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, now this is what I want done. This is how I want it done, and this is where I want it done. Now, if you look at the next page, Acts chapter 2, the disciples went back. He told them to wait. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And for seven days, they waited. They waited and prayed for seven days in the upper room. And then on the day of Pentecost, which was a feast of the Jewish people, 50 days after Passover... While they were praying, the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came and filled all of those disciples' very souls. And they began to speak in languages. All of the languages of the nations around them. What did Jesus say? I want you to be witnesses to where? The ends of the earth and so as a sign of the Holy Spirit and his mission to take Jesus to the ends of the earth the very first day they are speaking the gospel in languages they do not know is a very sign of what the church is going to be doing through the age now people heard this and they said these folks are drunk It's not even 5 o'clock somewhere. And they're drunk. They're just drunk. And Peter stands up. He says, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. 
He says, we're not drunk. And he takes the opportunity to begin to proclaim the gospel. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. You have taken him and by wicked hands you have crucified the Lord of glory. But God knew this was going to happen. And God has raised him up to be a savior to all who will repent and believe. In that moment, that very first day, look at what happened. Verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves, these people. Verse 41 says 3,000 in one day were added to the church. 3,000. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were continuing in everything that Jesus said. And they were in fellowship one with another. They were sharing life together. And they were breaking bread, having meals, but also having communion together. And they were praying together. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had become an assembly. They are, they are Christ's body. And they have all things common. They are sharing. And if they were selling their, position, their possessions and belongings. They were distributing to the proceeds to any who had need. They weren't afraid of a government shutdown. All the needs were going to be met by the loving kindness of the people of God. Amen? And day by day, this, these people are attending the temple. They're going into that huge court and courts of the temple. And they're holding worship services. And they are meeting in small groups, breaking bread in homes. They're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. And they're praising God. And they're having favor. They're being a witness. They're having favor with all people. And the Lord was continuing to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's how the church was founded. That's how it began to form. Now, it wasn't a perfect church. Look at chapter 5. Just turn over a few pages. It wasn't a perfect church. There was still people who were greedy. They were not honest. A couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit about their offering. It was not they were required to give the offering. It's that they lied about it to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that Ananias fell down dead. And then his wife came in. And the same happened to her. Talk about upsetting a worship service. All right. How about that offering? Okay. I bet the plates were piled high, man. Verse, <laughs> verse 11. Here's, here's what it was. not in the Bible. Once you know that. Verse 11 <laughs> Verse 11, the reason I call your attention here, it says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. That's the first time the gathering of these disciples is referred to as the church. They're the church. This is the first time in the book of Acts, third time in the New Testament. What is this gathering of disciples? They're not just a prayer group. They're not just a Bible study group. They're the church, the assembly of Jesus. 
Now, the Lord said he wanted the gospel not just to stay there in Jerusalem. Oh, they're having a wonderful fellowship. Oh, they're having fellowship. But guess what happens can happen to fellowship? You know, you can be having koinonia, great fellowship, but it's not hard for koinonia to turn into koinonitis, okay? As it's just about us. And the Lord said, I don't want that. He wanted the gospel going out. So look in chapter 9. He wanted it going into Judea and Samaria. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee had peace. There had come a persecution. And they had scattered some. And it was being built up. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So here you have Jerusalem, Jesus said. Judea. And Samaria. But where was it that Jesus said he wanted his gospel to go? To the ends of the earth. Now notice chapter 11. Here's where that began. Acts chapter 11. Look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now stop there. Who was leading the persecution that led to the death of Stephen? Saul of Tarsus. They scattered. The persecution scattered the embers of this new church. The members went as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Antioch being the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. But they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now what did Jesus say? I want you to make disciples of all peoples. But there were some of them, never the majority. They didn't take a vote on this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? These are people who believe in the God of Israel, but they're Gentiles. They're not blood Jewish people. They're Gentiles. And so for the first time, some Jewish believers start actively sharing the gospel with people outside of their own people group, the Gentiles. And they were teaching them the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them. Why? Because all authority is given to him. And they were sharing the word of Jesus. And when his word is shared, his authority is there. And a great number believed. And turned to the Lord. And this report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, right? The church heard about it. Home church. They didn't have Facebook back then, but they had some faces, okay? And they came and reported, is this okay or not? And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw not Gentiles, He saw the grace of God. When he saw the grace of God, only this can come from one place. It can only come from the Lord that pagans would worship Jesus. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and with steadfast purpose. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. 
And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for, isn't this great? Who does he go look for? Saul, parenthesis, the great persecutor, met Jesus. And he had a close encounter of the divine kind. And he was never the same. He became a preacher of Jesus, but the Jewish people didn't trust him. Only Barnabas was the one who really kind of brought him in. Barnabas says, I need a theologian. I need someone who's a gifted teacher. There's none better than Saul, and I discipled him myself. So he went to get Saul. He found him, verse 26, brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church. They taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Why was that? Because this is the first place that people that hated each other for centuries, Jews and Gentiles, who didn't look alike, who didn't dress alike, who didn't sing the same songs, and they didn't eat the same food, yet they had the same Savior. And boy, I'd like to have been a part of that church. I'd like to have been there when they're trying to decide what kind of songs God likes (laughs) and what you're supposed to wear to church. And what you can eat at the fellowship afterward. I would have loved to have been a part of that, okay? What a great moment. Now what happens? Well, look at chapter 13. This is amazing. The Lord wants the mission to go to the ends of the earth. It's gone all the way to Antioch. It's now encompassed Gentiles. They're gathered together in this church. Notice, it's the church at Antioch. It's not just a crowd. It's a congregation of believers. They're a church. They have prophet and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger means black. He was a black man. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene's in Africa. He's from Africa. And Manaean. Oh, I got to tell you about this. Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Let me ask the question. Who built the pagan temple to Caesar in Caesarea? This man, Herod the Tetrarch, is Herod Philippi. He, the very man who built the pagan temple to Caesar, one of his friends, came to know Jesus. And is sharing the gospel. Isn't God awesome? And they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, speaking to the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they, that is the church, the disciples... They laid their hands on them and sent them out. Now that word sent out means they released them because the Lord had called them. Verse 4, so being sent out, that's a different word. The Holy Spirit is thrusting them out, calling them out. The church is releasing these men. They sent them out and they went to Seleucia and they sailed to Cyprus. Notice here is the first missionaries being sent out by the church. The first missionaries. And notice the authority of the church. Listen, watch this. Barnabas and Saul are apostles. They're apostles. 
but they just don't go where they want to go. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak to them in isolation. He speaks to the church. And the church recognizes the call on Saul and Barnabas' life. And the church sends them out. See, friends, listen. As a Christian, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But you don't have an impersonal relationship with others. To whom did the Lord give the authority? The church. So the church sends them out. Very significant. So the first missionaries went out. Chapter 13, chapter 14. Here's the first missionary journey. Saul and Barnabas. What did they go out doing? What was it that they were doing? They're making disciples. But how are these disciples being formed together? What's happening Well, look at the functioning of the church. I want you to see the functioning of the church. They go out making disciples, but they don't leave those disciples isolated. They don't leave them isolated. Notice what happens here in chapter 14, verse 21. Here has to say about one insight into what Saul and Barnabas were doing. When they had preached the gospel to that city... They made many disciples. Notice that. They made disciples by teaching the word of God. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening, they go back to these cities, strengthening the souls of the disciples. They're encouraging these disciples to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom. They weren't teaching prosperity gospel. No, sir. They were saying, God bless you. You're a part of the kingdom. You're the king's kids. But you're going to enter the kingdom through some tough times. And when they had appointed, so what are they doing? When they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now notice what was the mission. Make disciples. Do you see that word disciples? But now these disciples are gathered together into local assemblies of Jesus. Local churches. And to care for them and shepherd for them, there are appointed elders. Verse 29. Here's how the church is being formed. Disciples meeting together in the name of Jesus being taught the word of God and shepherded by a group of men known as elders. Elders. They established churches and appointed elders. Now just for a few minutes, because we're talking about being aligned on scripture individually and as a church, I want us to continue taking this journey and see what the Bible has to say about the church and elders, churches with elders. Okay, they appointed from these disciples, the elders didn't come from outside, the elders came from inside, and they were appointed. Now, what do we learn here about elders? First of all, the role of elders. What does the name elder mean? <laughs> what does it mean? Elder, it shows up here. Where the word elder is the Greek word presbyteros. 
presbyteros. We get our word presbytery or presbyterian comes from that. Presbyterian. By the way, you know what a Presbyterian is, don't you? Never tell you. Presbyterian is a Baptist that got an education. That's what a Presbyterian is, okay? This, that's not in my notes. I just thought I'd let you know that, okay? I got some cousins that are Presbyterian ministers, and I just t- tell them that all the time, okay? So, but what's the word elder mean? It doesn't mean an old person. It means mature, mature. It comes out of the Old Testament, when mature men would sit in the gates of the city and they would be the judges for the city. And then later it was used in the synagogue. The people would gather to worship and there would be appointed elders for the synagogue. Their responsibility was for caring for the members of the synagogue. Well, this same word is carried into the New Testament. It was very familiar to the Jewish people. And now it's being made familiar to the whole church. The congregation is to be led by, shepherded by elders. Now, what are the qualities of an elder? What what does it mean to be mature? It means these things. It means that they were men of proven character. They were from from within the congregation. They had been tested. They were known to be men of character. They were tested. And they were men with proven competency. They were teachers. Elders were always mature people who applied the teachings of the Lord God to the people in Israel and also in the church. There are mature men who have been tested And they have the ability to apply the word of God to the church collectively and to people individually. This is where elders come from. Now, we looked at the name of the elders. What do we notice about the number of the elders? It says they appointed elders, plural, in every church. Elders, plural, in every church. We don't know how many elders but it means more than one, more than one. So that it means that from within the congregation, there is to be more than one person who oversees the ministry. It's not to be for one man. There are to be more than that so that the church can be strengthened and cared for appropriately. So it's a plurality of elders. Now, what's the role of elders? Hey, how are you doing on this road trip? Okay, don't, don't fall asleep at the wheel with me here, okay? Turn to 1 Peter. Just a few stops more on this road trip. Turn with me to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, you're going to hear from Peter a very key passage. A very key passage. I worked on that all week and some of you didn't get that, okay? Did you see what I did there? Peter, keys of the kingdom, key passage. Okay, man. Wow. I I thought that would, you'd get that. I didn't get a gospel nod out of one of you out there. I'm telling you. Okay, this is a key passage, all right. What does Peter say about the responsibility of elders in the congregation? He says, this is your responsibility, elders. 
So I exhort the elders among you. They are from among you. They're not outsiders. They're part of you. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Now here come the verbs. You elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising authority. Not under compulsion. Not because you have to. But willingly, as God would have you, not for money, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over the, those in your charge, not being a dictator. The word here is despotes. We get our word despot from it. Don't be a dictator over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you, under shepherds, the elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now notice here, what's the responsibility of the elders? Two things. The responsibility of the elders is to, first of all, guide the flock. Guide the flock. Notice the verbs here. They are to shepherd the flock. The word shepherd here is the word which is also translated in other places, pastor. And it means to feed the flock. It has the idea of a shepherd leading the flock to green pastures. It's the idea of feeding, pastoring. So the elders are pastors. They're shepherding the flock. They're not a board of, of successful business people. They're not a committee. They are a group of mature men competent to teach the word and of tested character who are responsible to pastor the flock of God, especially teaching, feeding the flock of God. But these elders are not only to feed the flock, notice they are also to lead the flock. It says, verse 2, the elders have two responsibilities. Shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight. Exercise oversight. The word there is episcopal. We get our word episcopal or episcopalian comes from this. It's also translated bishop. Bishop. A bishop is an overseer. So notice what it's saying here. Elders are pastors who take the oversight of the ministry of the church. Elders shepherd, they pastor the flock, they feed the flock by teaching, and they lead the flock, not dominating the flock, the flock has the authority, even the apostles are under the authority of the church. Remember that? Saul and Barnabas are under the authority of the church. So are the pastors. But they as servant leaders are to lead the church. The congregation is not to be ruled by the elders. The congregation is to be led by the elders. That's the responsibility of the elders, to guide the flock and then... I'll stop here. Our journey's not over.
one more stop on our road trip. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 20. Elders have one other responsibility for the flock. To guide the flock, First Peter, that's what Peter said. And then in one of the most poignant and touching passages in the Bible, to my mind, is Acts chapter 20. And here we are told by the Apostle Paul that elders are to guard the flock. They guide the flock and they guard the flock. Now here's the story as we close. Listen carefully. The Apostle Paul has been ministering for years. He's Saul of Tarsus who's become Paul. And God has told him to go to Jerusalem. He's the most hated man in Jerusalem. And he's been told by the Lord already that chains and imprisonment await him. But he's got to go. And so as he's on his way, he starts thinking about the church in Ephesus where he spent three years. And so on the way to Jerusalem, he stops at a little island called Miletus. And he calls the elders to come out and see him. And it's this very touching scene here in Acts chapter 20, page 929. Here's what happens. Verse 24. Paul says to these elders, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, this is my compelling passion, come what may. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaim the kingdom will see my face again. You won't see me again until we get to heaven. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. No man's blood is on my hands, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We would say he was not cherry-picking from the Scriptures. He taught everything the Bible has to say. And he says, because of that, I will not give an account for you at the day of judgment. Your blood won't be on my hands if you don't listen. Pay attention to yourselves. Now he's speaking to the elders. Pay attention to yourselves and to the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's the same word, episkopos. You're, you're the overseers of the flock. To care for the church. There's the word for pastor. You elders who are taking the oversight of the flock and you're shepherding the flock. Take heed to yourselves. Take heed to the precious flock. Why is it so precious? Because God has obtained this church with his own blood. My friend, some people may say they didn't know God had blood. He did when Jesus was on the earth. He purchased his people with his own precious blood. The church is a big deal to God. It cost him his son. And if the church is a big deal to God, it ought to be a big deal to everybody who's a disciple of Jesus. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from among your own selves will arise men 
speaking twisted things. How do you know a wolf? If a wolf looks like a lamb, how do you know he's a wolf? Because of what comes out of his mouth. Not bah, but the voice of the devil, the serpent, twisted. That's how you know a wolf. May look like a sheep, act like a sheep, learn to walk like a sheep. But when he speaks, he doesn't say what God says. He's a wolf. It's going to happen in your very midst. Friends, when God plants a church, the devil tries to plant a chapel. He gets in to corrupt it. Therefore, he says to the elders, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish you with tears. And now, you elders, as you go to take oversight of the flock and you continue to shepherd my, the people of God, my brothers and sisters, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Friends, the church... is not a gathering of convenience. The church is not buildings. The church is people who are bound in covenant together with the Lord Jesus Christ as their great shepherd, worshiping, witnessing for him, being servant-led by elders, who take the oversight and shepherd the flock of God for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And with one heart, one mind, one soul, the congregation bears witness to the name above every name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.